whispered this profound truth. It's never too early and it's never too late to begin this important process. I knew immediately what that meant. I could hardly wait to get home. I asked my wife Cheryl to call all of our children and tell them that we needed to visit with them. I had something really important to tell them. My urgency startled them a little. We began with our oldest daughter and her husband, and I said, Your mother and I want you to know that we we were your age once. We were 31 with a small family. We have an idea of what you might encounter. It might be a financial or health challenge. It may be a crisis of faith. You may just get overwhelmed with life. When these things happen, we want you to come and talk to us. We'll help you get through them. Now, we don't want to be in your business all the time, but we want you to know that we're always in your corner. But while we're together, I want to tell you about an interview I just had with a young man named Pablo. After the story, I said, We don't want you to miss helping your children and our grandchildren understand these important truths. Brothers and sisters, I now realize in a more meaningful way what the Lord expects of me as a father and a grandfather in establishing a process to help my family not only hear but to understand. As I grow older, I find myself reflecting on these words. O time, O time, go back in flight and let them be my little children for just one more night. I know I can't turn back time, but this now I now know that it's never too early and it's never too late to lead, guide, and walk beside our children because families are forever. It is my witness that our Heavenly Father loved us so much that He sent His only begotten Son to live the life of a mortal so that Jesus could say to us, I've been where you are. I know what comes next, and I'll help you through it. I know He will. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. During the course of life, we are tested and tempted. We also have the opportunity to exercise agency and to help one another. These trials are part of the wonderful and perfect plan of our Heavenly Father. President John Taylor taught, I heard the prophet Joseph say in speaking to the twelve on one occasion, You will have all kinds of trials to pass through, and it is quite as necessary for you to be tried as it was for Abraham and other men of God. And, said he, God will feel after you, and he will take all of you and wrench your very heart strings. Once we reach the age of accountability, trials and temptations are universal. Sometimes they can become heavy burdens, but they also give us strength and growth as we successfully overcome them. Fortunately, these burdens are not to be carried alone. Almata, ye are desirous to come into the fall of God and to be called his people, and are willing to bear one another's burdens that they may be light. These words indicate that we have the responsibility to help each other. That responsibility can come from a church calling, an assignment, a friendship, or as part of our divine duty as parents, spouses, or family members, or simply from being part of God's family. I will illustrate four ways our burdens are lightened as we help each other. Number one, the Savior said, Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. As an example, we are asked to attend the temple regularly as our individual circumstances allow. Attending the temple requires sacrifice of time and resources, especially for those who must travel a great distance. Nevertheless, this sacrifice could be considered part of the first mile. We will be walking the second mile when we understand the words find, take, and teach. When we search for and prepare the names of our ancestors for temple ordinances, when we help in indexing, when we serve as temple workers, and when we look for ways to help others have meaningful temple experiences. 
Well, while I was serving as an Area 70, one of the stake in my coordinating council participated in a large temple excursion. The temple the members attend is small, and unfortunately there were several members who, despite making the long 12-hour journey, were not able to enter the temple because it had exceeded daily capacity. A few days after this trip, I visited this stake and asked the president if I could talk with some of the members who were unable to attend the temple that day. One of the brothers I visited told me, Elder, do not worry. I was in the house of the Lord. I sat on a bench in the garden and pondered in my mind the ordinances. Then I was given the opportunity to enter, but instead I allowed another brother who had come to the temple for the first time to be sealed to his wife to take my place. They then had the opportunity to attend two sessions that day. The Lord knows me, and he has blessed me, and we are fine. Number two, smile. This small action can help those who are overwhelmed or burdened. During the priesthood session of this past April General Conference, I was sitting on a stand with the five newly called general authorities. We were sitting where the sister of the auxiliary presidents are now seated. I was feeling very nervous and overwhelmed with my new call. When we were singing the intermediate hymns, I felt a strong impression that someone was watching me. I thought to myself, there are more, there are more than 20,000 people in this building, and most of them are faced this way. Of course, someone is watching you. <laughs> While I continued singing, I again felt a strong impression that someone was watching me. I looked over that row where the twelve apostles were sitting and saw that President Russell M. Nelson was turned all the way around in his seat, looking at where we were seated. I caught his eye, and he gave me a big smile. That smile brought peace to my overwhelmed heart. After his resurrection, Jesus Christ visited his other sheep, and he called and ordained twelve disciples, and with that authority they ministered to the people. The Lord Jesus Christ himself stood among them. The Lord asked them, to kneel and pray, I am not sure if the newly called and ordained twelve disciples were overwhelmed with their calling. But the scripture says, It came to pass that Jesus blessed them as they did pray unto him, and his countenance did smile upon them, and the light of his countenance did shine upon them. During the last general conference, I smiled, lightened my burdens in an immediate and extraordinary way. Number three, express feelings of compassion to others. If you are priesthood holders, please use your power in behalf of the children of God, giving blessing to them. Express words of consolation and comfort to people who are suffering or experiencing afflictions. Number four, the cornerstone of God's plan is the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. At least once a week we shall meditate, as President Joseph F. Smith did on, quote, the great and wonderful love made manifest by the Father and the Son in the coming of the Redeemer into the world, end quote inviting others to come to the church and to wardly partake of the sacrament will allow more of Heavenly Father's children to reflect on the atonement. And if we are not worthy, we can repent. Remember that the Son of the High is descended below all and took upon him our offenses, sins, transgressions, sicknesses, pains, afflictions, and loneliness. The scripture teach, 
He that ascended up on the high, as also he descended below all things, it that he comprehended all things. It does not matter what our personal struggles are, whether they are disease or prolonged loneliness, or suffering the temptation and test of the adversary. The good shepherd is there. He calls by name and says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I want to summarize, summarize the four points. First, God a second mile. Second, please smile. Your smile will help others. Third, express compassion. Fourth, invite others come to the church. I bear, I bear my testimony of the Savior. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and He lives. I know that He sustained with all His might and power the Father's plan. I know that President Tom Simonson is a living prophet. He holds all the keys to successfully carry, carry out God's work on the earth. I know that we can help each other as children of our Heavenly Father in our prize and temptations. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Not long ago, my wife and I decided that we should more fully experience the beauty of an area close to our home in northwest Montana. We determined to take our bicycles to the Hiawatha Trail, a converted rail line that crosses the beautiful Rocky Mountains between Montana and Idaho. We anticipated a fun day with good friends, enjoying the natural beauty of the area. We knew our ride along the magnificent 15-mile trail would include trestles stretching over deep canyons and long tunnels penetrating rugged mountains. So we prepared ourselves with lights strapped to our helmets and bicycles. Those who had gone before warned us that the tunnels were dark and that we needed really strong lights. As we gathered in front of the massive stone opening of the Taft Tunnel, a caretaker explained some of the dangers of the trail, including deep ditches along the edges, rough walls, and complete darkness. Impatiently, we pushed forward into the tunnel. After we had ridden only a few minutes, the predicted darkness engulfed us. The lights I brought proved inadequate, and the darkness soon overwhelmed them. Suddenly, I began to feel anxious, confused, and disoriented. I was embarrassed to admit my anxieties to my friends and family. Although an experienced cyclist, I now felt as though I had never ridden a bicycle. I struggled to stay upright as my confusion increased. Finally, after I did express my discomfort to those around me, I was able to draw closer to the more powerful light of a friend. In fact, everyone in the group began to form a tight circle around him. By staying close to him and relying for a time on his light and the collective light of the group, we pushed deeper into the darkness of the tunnel. After what seemed like hours, I saw a pinpoint of light. Almost immediately, I began to feel reassured that all would be well. I continued to press forward, relying on both the light of my friends and the growing pinpoint of light. My confidence gradually returned as the light grew in size and intensity. Long before reaching the end of the tunnel, I no longer needed the assistance of my friends. All anxiety disappeared as we pedaled quickly towards the light. I felt calm and reassured even before we rode into the morning full of warmth and splendor. We live in a world in which we will experience challenges to our faith. We may feel confident that we are ready to face these challenges, only to find that our preparations have been insufficient. And just as my friend had warned me about the darkness, we are warned today. Apostolic voices urge us to prepare ourselves with the powerful light of spiritual strength. Likewise, we might feel embarrassed, uncomfortable, or confused spiritually when we encounter a challenge to our faith. 
Generally, the intensity and duration of these feelings will depend upon our reaction to them. If we do nothing, doubt, pride, and eventually apostasy may drive us from the light. I learned some important lessons from my experience in the tunnel. I'll share just a few of them. First, no matter how intense the darkness of doubt, we choose how long and to what extent we allow it to influence us. We must remember how much our Heavenly Father and His Son love us. They will neither abandon us nor will they allow us to become overcome if we seek their help. Remember Peter's experience in the hostile waves of the Sea of Galilee. As Peter felt the cold darkness close around him, he recognized his dilemma immediately and chose in that very moment to call out for help. He did not question the Savior's power to save him. He simply called out, Lord, save me. In our lives, the extended hand of the Savior may take the form of help from a trusted friend, leader, or a loving parent. While we are struggling in the darkness, there is nothing wrong with relying temporarily upon the light of those who love us and have our best interests at heart. When we consider thoughtfully, why would we listen to the faceless, cynical voices of those in the great and spacious buildings of our time and ignore the pleas of those who genuinely love us? These ever-present naysayers prefer to tear down rather than elevate and to ridicule rather than uplift. Their mocking words can burrow into our lives often through split-second bursts of electronic distortions, carefully and deliberately composed to destroy our faith. Is it wise to place our eternal well-being in the hands of strangers? Is it wise to claim enlightenment from those who have no light to give or who may have private agendas hidden from us? These anonymous individuals, if presented to us honestly, would never be given a moment of our time. But because they exploit social media hidden from scrutiny, they receive undeserved credibility. Our choice to heed those who mock sacred things will distance us from the saving and life-giving light of the Savior. John recorded, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Remember those who truly love us can help us build our faith. Just as I was embarrassed in the tunnel, we might feel too embarrassed to ask for help when we doubt. Perhaps we are one to whom others have looked for strength and now we need help. When we realize that the light and the comfort the Savior can extend to us is far too precious to lose to pride, then inspired Church leaders, parents, and trusted friends can help. They stand ready to assist us in gaining spiritual assurances that will fortify us against challenges of faith. Second, we must trust in the Lord in order to develop spiritual strength within ourselves. We cannot rely upon the light of others forever. I knew that the darkness in the tunnel would not last if I kept pedaling beside my friend and within the safety of the group. But my expectation was to be able to proceed on my own once I could see the light. The Lord teaches us, Draw near unto me, and I will draw near unto you. Seek me diligently, and you shall find me. Ask, and you shall receive. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. We must act, expecting that the Lord will fulfill His promise to lift us from the darkness if we draw near unto Him. The adversary, however, will try to convince us that we have never felt the influence of the Spirit and that it will be easier just to stop trying. President Dieter F. Uchtdorf counsels us to doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith. In my home ward, a young man recently said, There are things I have felt that cannot be explained in any other way except that they are of God. This is spiritual integrity. When faced with questions or tempted to doubt, we should remember the spiritual blessings and feelings that have penetrated our hearts and lives in the past and place our faith in Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. I am reminded of the counsel given in a familiar hymn, Doubt not the Lord nor His goodness, for we have proved Him in days that are past. To ignore and discount past spiritual experiences will distance us from God. Our quest for light will be enhanced by our willingness to recognize when it shines in our lives. Modern scripture defines light and gives us a promise to those who accept it. That which is of God is light, and he that receiveth light and continueth in God receiveth more light. 
and that light groweth brighter and brighter until the perfect day. Just as when we kept pedaling toward the light, the more we persist, the brighter His influence becomes in our lives. Like the light at the end of the tunnel, His influence will bring us confidence, determination, comfort, and most importantly, the power to know that He lives. Third, there is no darkness so dense, so menacing, or so difficult that it cannot be overcome by light. Elder Neil L. Anderson recently taught, As evil increases in the world, there is a compensatory spiritual power for the righteous. As the world slides from its spiritual moorings, the Lord prepares the way for those who seek Him, offering them greater assurance, greater confirmation, and greater confidence in the spiritual direction they are traveling. The gift of the Holy Ghost becomes a brighter light in the emerging emerging twilight. Brothers and sisters, we have not been left alone to be influenced by every whim and change in the world's attitude. But we have the power to choose belief over doubt. In order to access the promised compensatory spiritual power, we must choose to heed prophetic counsel, recognize and act upon spiritual promptings, be obedient to God's commandments, and seek personal revelation. We must choose. May we choose the light of the Savior. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you, brethren. We are grateful for all who have spoken to us this afternoon and for the beautiful music that has been provided by these wonderful children. We remind the brethren of the general priesthood meeting, which will commence in the conference center this evening at 6 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time. The nationwide Mormon Tabernacle Choir broadcast will be tomorrow morning from 9.30 to 10 a.m. Mountain Daylight Time. The Sunday morning session of conference will immediately follow this broadcast. We will now be pleased to hear from Elder James B. Martino of the Seventy. He will then be followed by Elder Dallin H. Oaks of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, who will be our concluding speaker for this session. Following Elder Oaks, the choir will sing, I Feel My Savior's Love. The benediction will then be offered by Elder Kazuhiko Yamashita of the Seventy. When I was a young man, my parents joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We knew that the missionaries had been teaching them, but my parents had taken the missionary lessons alone. After this surprising announcement, my brothers and I began to listen to the missionaries as well, and they each received the message of the Restoration with gladness. Although I was curious, my heart was not into changing my life. I did, however, accept the challenge to pray about whether the Book of Mormon was the Word of God. But I did not receive an answer. You might ask why Heavenly Father did not answer that prayer. I certainly wondered. I have learned since that the promise made by Moroni is accurate. God does answer our prayers about the truthfulness of the gospel, but He answers them when we have a sincere heart with real intent. He does not answer just to respond to our curiosity. Perhaps there is something in your life that you have a question about. Perhaps there is a problem you do not know quite how to answer. Today I would like to share some thoughts that may help you obtain the answers or help you are seeking. It begins with being converted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have thought about the accounts of several individuals in the scriptures. Take, for example, Laman and Lemuel. Like Nephi, they were born of goodly parents and taught in all the learning of their father. Yet they murmured because their father was a visionary man. From their point of view, his decisions defied logic, for they knew not the things of God, and therefore they would not believe. It is interesting to note that their choices allowed them access to potentially faith-building experiences. They left their home and their riches, 
They suffered through wanderings in the wilderness. They eventually helped build the boat, and they agreed to journey to an unknown land. Nephi passed through these same experiences. But did these actions build their faith? Nephi's faith was made strong. But Laman and Lemuel grew more cynical and angry. These brothers even saw and heard an angel. But alas, they continued to doubt. Mortal life is not easy for any of us. We are placed on earth to be tried and tested. Our response to life's experience will often greatly influence our testimonies. Consider some of the reactions of Laman and Lemuel. They murmured when their father asked them to do hard things. They attempted to obtain the brass plates, but when success did not come, they gave up. Their attitude was, we've tried. What more can we do? There was even a time when they were sorrowful for doing wrong and asked for forgiveness. They prayed and were forgiven. But the scriptures record that later they returned to complaining and they refused to pray. They came to Nephi and said they could not understand the words which their father had spoken. Nephi asked them if they had inquired of the Lord. Notice their response. We have not, for the Lord maketh no such thing known unto us. Nephi's reply to his brothers is a key for us to receive continual answers to prayer. How is it that you do not keep the commandments of the Lord? How is it that you will perish because of the hardness of of your hearts? Do ye not remember the things which the Lord hath said? If you will not harden your hearts and ask in faith, believing that ye shall receive with diligence in keeping my commandments, surely these things will be made known unto you. I know some return missionaries who have had undeniable spiritual experiences. But the lack of certain spiritual habits seems to have caused them to forget the times when God has spoken to them. To those returned missionaries and to all of us, if you have felt to sing the song of redeeming love, I would ask, can you feel so now? If you do not feel it now, you can feel it again. But consider Nephi's counsel. Be obedient. Remember the times when you have felt the Spirit in the past and ask in faith. Your answer will come and you will feel the love and peace of the Savior. It may not come as quickly or in the format you desire, but the answer will come. Do not give up. Never give up. Let us compare Laman and Lemuel to the sons of Mosiah. Both groups of men were raised in righteous families, yet both strayed. Both were called to repentance by an angel. But what was different about the experience of the sons of Mosiah? Their missionary success is unforgettable. Thousands were converted to the ways of the Lord. However, we often forget that as they began their missions, their hearts were depressed and they were about to turn back, but the Lord comforted them. They were counseled by the Lord to bear with patience their afflictions. Why did the trials of these sons of Mosiah strengthen their faith and commitment rather than cause them to murmur or doubt? The key is that they waxed strong in the knowledge of the truth, for they were men of a sound understanding, and they had searched the Scriptures diligently that they might know the Word of God. We will all face trials and have questions. But remember that we must be continually holding fast to the rod of iron. The words of Christ will tell us all things that we should do. We must make scripture study a daily part of our lives as this will open doors of revelation. For the sons of Mosiah, this is not all. They had given themselves to much prayer and fasting. Therefore, they had the spirit of prophecy and the spirit of revelation. Prayer and fasting will allow us to be susceptible to spiritual promptings. Communication with Heavenly Father, while purposefully 
abstaining from food and drink, allows us to loose the bands of wickedness and to undo the heavy burdens. Prayer, combined with fasting, will provide so that when we call, the Lord shall answer. And when we cry, He shall say, Here I am. These personal religious habits, obedience, study, scripture study, prayer, and fasting strengthen the sons of Mosiah. The lack of these same personal religious habits was a major reason that Laman and Lemuel were left vulnerable to the temptation to murmur and doubt. If you have been tempted to murmur, if you have had doubts that lead to unbelief, if trials seem more more than you can bear, turn to Him. If you are one who has turned away or rationalized your behavior, turn to Him. Can you remember when He did speak peace to your mind? What greater witness can you have than from God? Ask yourself, am I as close to living like Christ now as I was before? Please, turn to Him. May I return to my personal story? Eventually, I began to be sincere. I remember when the missionary who was teaching me asked if I was ready to be baptized. I replied that I still had some questions. This wise missionary told me that he could answer them, but that I would have to answer his, his question first. He asked me if the Book of Mormon was true and if Joseph Smith was a prophet. I told him that I did not know, but I wanted to know. My questions led to increased faith. For me, the answer came not as an event, but as a process. I noticed that as I did experiment upon the words and began to exercise a particle of faith, the Book of Mormon became delicious to me. It did enlighten my understanding and truly did enlarge my soul. Eventually, I had that experience the scriptures define as a swelling within your breast. It was at this point that I desired to be baptized and to commit my life to Jesus Christ. I truly know that the Book of Mormon is the Word of God. I know that Joseph Smith was a prophet. Oh, I still have things I do not comprehend. But my testimony of truth draws me closer to the Savior and builds my faith. Brothers and sisters, remember Nephi and the sons of Mosiah, who had spiritual experiences and then acted in faith so that answers came and their faithfulness grew. Contrast this with Laman and Lemuel who doubted and murmured, even though they sometimes acted in worthwhile ways. Work without faith is dead. We must have faith with works to receive answers. I hope as you have listened this morning that the Spirit has impressed upon your minds and hearts something that you might do to have your questions answered or find an inspired solution to the problem you face. I bear a solemn witness that Jesus is the Christ. Turn to Him, and your prayers will be answered. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. In mortality, we have the certainty of death and the burden of sin. The atonement of Jesus Christ offsets these two certainties of mortal life. But apart from death and sin, we have many other challenges as we struggle through mortality. Because of that same atonement, our Savior can provide us the strength we need to overcome these mortal challenges. That is my subject today. Most scriptural accounts of the atonement concern the Savior's breaking the bands of death and suffering for our sins. In his sermon recorded in the Book of Mormon, Alma taught these fundamentals, but he also provided our clearest scriptural assurances that the Savior also experienced the pains and sicknesses and infirmities of his people. Alma described this part of the Savior's atonement. And he shall go forth, suffering pains and afflictions and temptations of every kind, and this that the word might be fulfilled, which saith, 
he will take upon him the pains and the sicknesses of his people. Think of it. In the Savior's atonement, he suffered pains and afflictions and temptations of every kind. As President Boyd K. Packer explained, quote, He had no debt to pay. He had committed no wrong. Nevertheless, an accumulation of all of the guilt, the grief and sorrow, the pain and humiliation, all of the mental, emotional, and physical torments known to man, he experienced them all. End of quote. Why did he suffer these mortal challenges of every kind? Alma explained, and he will take upon him their infirmities, that his bowels may be filled with mercy according to the flesh, that he may know according to the flesh how to succor his people according to their infirmities. For example, the Apostle Paul declared that because the Savior hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Similarly, President James E. Faust taught, Since the Savior has suffered anything and everything that we could ever feel or experience, he can help the weak to become stronger. End of quote. Our Savior experienced and suffered the fullness of all mortal challenges according to the flesh, so he could know according to the flesh how to succor, which means to give relief or aid to, his people according to their infirmities. He therefore knows our struggles, our heartaches, our temptations, our suffering, for he willingly experienced them all as an essential part of his atonement. And because of this, his atonement empowers him to succor us, to give us the strength to bear it all. While Alma's teaching in the seventh chapter is the single clearest of all the scriptures on this essential power of the atonement, it is also taught throughout Holy Writ. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus explained that he was sent to heal the brokenhearted. The Bible often tells us of his healing people of their infirmities. The Book of Mormon records his healing those that were afflicted in any manner. The Gospel of Matthew explains that Jesus healed the people that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. End of quote. Isaiah taught that the Messiah would bear our griefs and our sorrows. Isaiah also taught of his strengthening us. Fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee. Thus we sing... Fear not, I am with thee, O be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand, upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. Speaking of some of his own mortal challenges, the Apostle Paul wrote, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And so we see that because of his atonement, the Savior has the power to succor, to help, every mortal pain and affliction. Sometimes his power heals an infirmity, but the scriptures and our experiences teach that sometimes he succors or helps by giving us the strength or patience to endure our infirmities. What are these mortal pains and afflictions and infirmities that our Savior experienced and suffered? 
We all have pains and afflictions and infirmities at one time or another. Apart from what we experience because of our sins, mortality is filled with frequent struggles, heartaches, and suffering. We and those we love suffer sickness. At some time, each of us also experiences pain from traumatic injuries or from other physical or mental difficulties. All of us suffer and grieve in connection with the death of a loved one. We all experience failure in our personal responsibilities, our family relationships, or our occupations. When a spouse or a child rejects what we know to be true and strays from the path of righteousness, we experience particularly stressful pain, just like the father of the prodigal son in Jesus' memorable parable. As the psalmist declared, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Thus, our hymns contain this true assurance. Earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot cure. What cures us is our Savior and His Atonement. Particularly poignant for teenagers is the feeling of rejection when peers seem to join in happy relationships and activities and deliberately leave them out. Racial and ethnic prejudices produce other painful rejections for youth and adults. Life has many other challenges, such as unemployment or other reverses in our plans. I'm still speaking of mortal infirmities not caused by our sins. Some are born with physical or mental disabilities that cause personal suffering for them and struggles for those who love and care for them. For many, the infirmity of depression is painful or permanently disabling. Another painful affliction is the circumstance of singleness. Those who suffer this circumstance should remember that our Savior experienced this kind of pain also and that through his atonement he offers the strength to bear it. Few disabilities are more crippling to our temporal or spiritual lives than addictions. Some of these, like addictions to pornography or drugs, are likely to have been caused by sinful behavior. Even when that behavior has been repented, the addiction may remain. That disabling grip can also be relieved by the decisive strength available from the Savior. So can the severe challenge experienced by those sent to prison for crimes. A recent letter testifies to the strength that can come even to one in that circumstance. Quote, I know that our Savior is walking these halls and I have often felt Christ's love within these prison walls." I love the testimony of our poetess and friend Emma Luthane. In words we now sing as a hymn, she wrote, Where can I turn for peace? Where is my solace when other sources cease to make me whole? When with a wounded heart, anger, or malice, I draw myself apart, searching my soul. Where, when my aching grows, where, when I languish, where, in my need to know, where can I run? Where is the quiet hand to calm my anguish? Who, who can understand? He, only one. Who can be succored and strengthened through the atonement of Jesus Christ? Alma taught that the Savior would take upon him the pains and the sicknesses of his people and succor 
his people. Who are his people in this promise? Is it all mortals, all who enjoy the reality of resurrection through the atonement? Or is it only those select servants qualified through ordinances and covenants? The word people has many meanings in the scriptures. The meaning most appropriate for the teaching that the Savior will succor his people is the meaning Ammon employed when he taught that God is mindful of every people, whatsoever land they may be in. That is also what the angels meant when they announced the birth of the Christ child, good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. Because of his atoning experience in mortality, our Savior is able to comfort, heal, and strengthen all men and women everywhere. But I believe he only does so for those who seek him and ask for his help. The Apostle James taught, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. We qualify for that blessing when we believe in him and pray for his help. There are millions of God-fearing people who pray to God to be lifted out of their afflictions. Our Savior has revealed that he descended below all things. As Elder Neil A. Maxwell taught, quote, Having descended below all things, he comprehends perfectly and personally the full range of human suffering. End of quote. We might even say that having descended beneath it all, he is perfectly positioned to lift us and give us the strength we need to endure our afflictions. We have only to ask. Many times in modern revelation, the Lord declares, Therefore, if ye will ask of me, you shall receive. If you will knock, it shall be opened unto you. Indeed, because of their all-encompassing love, our Heavenly Father and His beloved Son, Jesus Christ, hear and suitably answer the prayers of all who seek them in faith. As the Apostle Paul wrote, We trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. I know these things to be true. Our Savior's atonement does more than assure us of immortality by a universal resurrection and gives us the opportunity to be cleansed from sin by repentance and baptism. His atonement also provides the opportunity to call upon Him who has experienced all of our mortal infirmities to give us the strength to bear the burdens of mortality. He knows of our anguish and he is there for us. Like the Good Samaritan, when he finds us wounded at the wayside, he will bind up our wounds and care for us. The healing and strengthening power of Jesus Christ and his atonement is for all of us who will ask. I testify of that as I also testify of our Savior who makes it all possible. One day all of these mortal burdens will pass away and there will be no more pain. I pray that we will all understand the hope and strength of our Savior's atonement, the assurance of immortality, the opportunity for eternal life, and the sustaining strength we can receive if only we will ask. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
Our dear listening Heavenly Father, we humbly bow our head and express our love and our deepest appreciation to Thee. We thank Thee, Heavenly Father, for the privilege to have gathered this day to be a part of and to witness. The sustaining these new apostles who will stand as special witness of the Lord Jesus Christ on the earth today. Father, with joyful hearts, we pray that thy strength and grace will support. All of thy apostles and prophets in the important work they must do. We are so grateful for all our beloved church leaders, their love, great example, wise counsel, and their tremendous effort. Father, Bless them. Bless their families and bless their health. Bless each of us, members, missionaries, and leaders, so that we will be able to work together to hasten the work of salvation. Continue to bless this conference to be thy spirit with us. In the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
This has been a broadcast of the 185th Semi-Annual General Conference of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Speakers were selected from the general authorities and general officers of the church. The music for this session was provided by a choir of primary children from stakes in the Riverton, Utah area. This broadcast has been furnished as a public service by Bonneville Distribution. Any reproduction, recording, transcription, or other use of this program without written consent is prohibited. With a change in the season comes a change in suits. So now is the time to get an unbeatable value on men's long-wearing, wrinkle-resistant suits on sale at all Mr. Max stores. Now, if you're thinking you've had great prices before, then brace yourself. Buy one suit at $299, you get the second suit for just $1. It's an event six months in the making. Mr. Mac has worked with the leading manufacturer on a special purchase of over 5,000 men's suits in a wide range of sizes and colors. Now, while the supplies last, buy one suit at $299 and get the second suit for just $1. It's an unbeatable value on tradition and modern fit suits at all nine Mr. Mac stores. Remember, Mr. Mac offers free, fast alterations. Shop at Mr. Mac and see why they're Utah's leader for quality and discount prices. Mr. Mac, no one buys, no one sells, and no one cares the way they do. Absolutely no one. The heat is past, and winter is just around the corner. That means it's the perfect time to get outside and get some work done. Get to Stokes Equipment, your local John Deere dealer, for great savings on their full line of John Deere compact tractors. Choose either $12.50 off a 1025R tractor or 0% for 60 months, and a $750 cash-off bonus with the purchase of two implements. Or save on the 3E Series compact utility tractors with $2,750 off or 0% financing for 60 months, and a $2,200 cash-off bonus with the purchase of two implements. Now that's an offer. The Bluffdale store is just off I-15 south of the prison. Call 801-966-4231 or stop by today. Live outside of town? Stokes cover the state from St. George to Tremont with five locations in Utah and one in southern Idaho. So visit StotesEquipment.com.